Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. Turn your Bibles to me, if, with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. I want to speak to you just a little bit about total surrender unto God. Being enveloped in the fire of the Lord. What the fire of God will do to the life of a man. What it will do for your life. If you'll allow him to totally envelop you in the flames of his glory and his power. Exodus chapter 3 verse 1 reads as follows. Now Moses was tending to the flock of Jethro. His father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would speak to our hearts through your word. That every idea and philosophy that I may have is one, Father, be not heard this morning, but be, let your truth prevail, Lord, into the hearts of your people and let it bring and birth life. Help us, Father God, to have a burning desire to jump in, Lord, and totally allow you to envelop us and totally consume who we are. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone says, Amen. This is one of those passages in Scripture that seem to provoke us a little bit concerning God. It makes us wonder about Him. It entices us a little bit. We see an adventurous time in the life of an individual that we know by the name of Moses. It kind of pushes us a little bit to say, Wow, a man that would have such an experience I wonder what it feels like to be able to be in the middle of a desert and all of a sudden look up a little bit and see that there is a burning high fire at the pinnacle of that mountain. And something in him drives him to go, I'm, I'm going to go see what it is. It's an exciting story in the life of one man. A man who went... And stepped into the fire and met up with the fire of the Lord. Uh, this is one of the many God encounters we find in Scripture. Where the Lord visits his people in very unique ways. Even for a brief moment, God, when he makes his appearance, uh, it's always exciting. You know, when we're here at church and all of a sudden, uh, uh, I'm supposed to come and preach, but worship all of a sudden takes a different shift and you sense the King of Glory walk into the sanctuary, something changes. It's always exciting. You know automatically in your spirit, pastor's going to be sensitive and he's not going to preach to us. He's going to allow us to be engulfed in the flame of the presence of the Lord. You see, because I know better. I know that better. I could never offer you anything in comparison to the King of Glory walking in his house. 
I could never give you anything that is as satisfying as he can when he walks into the house of prayer. I could never motivate you, stimulate you, encourage you, lift you up, heal you, restore you, renew you, revive you, and refresh you like he can if we allow him to move in. So this is one of those unique times that we've experienced here at church at times. It may not begin that way. Sometimes we wake up in the morning not expecting much. Everything to be normal, but all of a sudden, as the day goes by, you see something extraordinary happen. You may have woken up this morning getting ready for church. Expecting just to come to church. Meeting up with somebody for lunch or having the joy of fellowshipping with the brethren. And to you, it may just be another morning service. For the worship team to come up here on Sunday morning and say, well, we've prepared some songs for the people we're going to play. I'm going to play my guitar and the musicians are going to do their work and, and so on and so forth. Make the announcements, pray and go home. Just another ordinary day. But I want you to know something, ladies and gentlemen, and I want to give you great warning concerning this. To stimulate your, your anticipation, if I can, just a little bit. Anytime... <clears throat> Anytime you come to the house of God, you're always in a place where something extraordinary could happen. Some of you didn't hear me. I said, anytime you come to the house of the Lord, anytime you come to the house of prayer, when you come to fellowship and to worship on Sunday morning, let it be on Wednesday, let it be to a prayer on Tuesday, let it be to a youth meeting on Tuesday, whatever day. It, it may be an ordinary day for you, but when you come intentionally to meet with God, you're always standing at the edge of something miraculous happening. This morning doesn't have to be an ordinary Sunday. You'll make it an ordinary Sunday. You'll walk out of here this morning and say, Ah, church was nice. Where are we going to go eat? Why? Because that's the norm. But don't you have a greater time when you walk out of the church saying, Wow, I wasn't expecting that. Did you sense the presence of the Lord? And you go home satisfied and tending to your business after you're out of here from the walls of this sanctuary are the last things you have on your mind. You're still outside talking like, wow, I'm still bubbling in my spirit. Oh, my gosh. Oh, the presence of the Lord was so real, so real. And I wasn't expecting that. Well, for Moses that day, he wasn't expecting a thing either. He had a job to do, and that was to tend to the sheep of his father-in-law, Jethro. I'm sure what he was expecting is for a couple of sheep to run crazy on him and go chase them. What he was expecting is that some of the stubborn ones wouldn't go where he wants to lead them, and, and some maybe were a little sick. He had to tend to them because they weren't grazing properly. That was an ordinary day for him. He was always on the watch for maybe a roaming uh, coyote or wolf or some kind of animal out there, predator that may have wanted to come to hurt the flock of his responsibility, if you will. But it was an ordinary day. 
You remember David saying, I killed lions and I killed bears? That was just an ordinary day of work for David. But it became an extraordinary day for David because they called him to the house of his father and they anointed him as king that same day. And for Moses, he's walking along, probably aching a little bit from doing this responsibly for so many years now. But then something happens. And he looks up to the hill of the Lord. And he sees a burning flame. See, any time you look up to the hill of the Lord, you'll see nothing else but a move of God. This is why we are admonished in Scripture and the psalmist speaks joyfully, I lift my eyes up to the hills where my help comes from. My help comes from I'm hard at hearing. The Lord. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. And so Moses looks up and the angel of the Lord is burning a flame. And without anything said, it was the Spirit of God that wooed Moses into his presence. It was the Spirit of God that caused him to say, I'm going to go see. The Bible tells us that no one can be saved unless he is drawn of the Lord. You see, us as speakers, we can take no glory for salvation at this altar. Any minister you hear from the pulpit saying, oh, what a great sermon I preach. You see all the people I got saved. You're in the way. I've never saved anybody in the past 40 years of ministry. And if I have even pretended to save anybody at this altar, they're lost today and on their way to a Christless eternity. Why? Because the only one that can save them is Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Hallelujah. And so he sees the fire and it woos him because that's how the Spirit of the Lord works. We make invitations to this altar. Would you come to the altar and... Many of you, just out of obedience, will come. And to your joy, you'll find that you're meeting with God. But sometimes you don't need an invitation. People, I've seen people just come to the altar. Because the Spirit of the Lord woos them. And this is the fire of the Lord on Mount Sinai, the Mount of God. It calls Moses in. And for that day... And the rest of his life, what became a normal, ordinary day for Moses, became an extraordinary day that caused change for the rest of his life. The usual for Moses became the unusual forever. The normality for Moses became the abnormal for him forever. The simple day for Moses began, began a, a rotating and revolving motion in his life for the rest of his life that made every day of his life an excitement to wake up, to enjoy. 
his direction, his life, his attitude towards God, his purpose for living changed the moment he came to meet with that fire. He took advantage of the invitation to place his feet on holy ground. He accepted the invitation of God to come and meet with him and feel the warmth of the embrace of the heat and the power of God. Moses would never be the same. It was a great day of joy and yet humility. I'm thinking that Moses may have thought, ladies and gentlemen, what a beautiful thought just comes to my heart. How humbling and how, how awesome Moses may have been when he was found by God in the middle of a desert. That's something so special you need to remember about the God you serve. You don't have to be in the highest corporate ladder position in life. You don't have to be in the highest offices. Your bank account doesn't have to be overflowing. You don't have to be some popular individual, some celebrity individual to be found from God. You can be in a desert and God will find you. Moses was stinky and dirty and smelled like sheep in the middle of a desert. And God found him there. I'm so thankful That God isn't alert, uh, 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 afraid to play with dirt. I'm so thankful that God isn't that delicate. He doesn't like to touch mud. I'm so thankful that God is not so delicate that he was afraid to touch my sinful heart. That he didn't look at me as people did in the holy city when someone was a leper. They made them live outside the cities away from the normal population because they were dirty, ugly, and sick. Aren't you glad, ladies and gentlemen, that God wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty when he touched your heart? And this is Moses in the middle of the Midian Desert. He found out that he wasn't looking for God. God was looking for him. I'm thankful this morning. I'm thankful this morning that I wasn't looking for God 45 years ago. I'm thankful that I wasn't looking for him. I'm so thankful that he was looking for me. I'm so thankful that he found me right in the nick of time. And he found me right in the middle of my mess. He found me just like Moses in the middle of flea-infested sheep. Sand between his toes, dirty sandals, clothing. These trips where there's flocks of sheep that shepherds took wasn't an eight-hour shift. It wasn't I, I have to go to work, punch in, and at 3.30 I get out and come home, take a shower, have dinner, and watch television. No, no, it was weeks at a time. 
And sometimes the little crags of rivers that were there were only big enough for the sheep to drink and not big enough for him to shower, bathe, and make himself clean. And still God called him into his presence. My friend, I don't know where you might be today, even if you've accepted the Lord Jesus as your Lord, but you've gotten yourself in a mess. God is not afraid to touch your life today. He's not afraid. Oh, Pastor, I, I've accepted the Lord years ago, but man, I've been messing up, man. I'm back to drinking. I'm back to smoking. I'm back to lying, cheating. I'm back to fighting. I'm back to my uh, bad character. I'm back to... God is not afraid to touch your life. If he was not afraid and too delicate to touch mine, he's not afraid and too delicate to touch yours if you'll just come to him. Moses was changed because he challenged himself to go and stand in the presence of that burning fire of the Lord. I want to talk to you just a little bit, if I can. I've got a few minutes left. Things that the scripture says concerning the fire of God and what it will do for Moses and what it will do for us. Can I interrupt what I'm saying right now? I'm going to ask you to do something for me. I want you to pray with me. I, wanna, I want you to pray for my wife. I, I don't see her here this morning. I don't know why she's not here. Nobody's given me a message. Maybe somebody knows, but she's not here this morning, and I'm accustomed to, to having her here. <laughs> And it's just, I don't know anything other than I just feel like we need to pray. Can we do that? And then I'll get back, promise I'll get back to what I'm speaking to you about. Father, in Jesus' name. I, 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 yeah, yeah. You interrupt me at this moment, Lord. And I have to stop. Father, I pray for my wife, Lord. I'm sure she's fine. I trust she's fine but she's not here this morning, Father, and uh, I, I made note of that this morning during worship, and my heart began to pray for her. And, and so I pray right now, Lord, humbly, would you find her and minister to her and keep her well and send message that we've prayed, Father. Maybe she's watching over social media and she could not come. If you're listening to me, then be blessed where you're at, honey. But I pray for her that nothing else would be happening. I pray for my family all together in this church, Father, as well. But I pray especially for my wife at this point in time. And I give you thanks that we join in faith and so it is done. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. What the fire does to the life of a man and what it will do for you if you'll allow yourself to step into the burning flame of the Spirit and the presence of God. The first thing that we see fire doing on this hill, on the mountain of God, is engulfing something, enveloping something, completely consuming something. 
The Bible says that when Moses looked up to the hill, he saw the angel of the Lord in the middle of this blazing fire. And what really astonished Moses that moment was that it was a burning bush in the desert. You can imagine how green that bush was. You can imagine how full of life that bush was. It's a desert. You know it was a tumbling weed. You know it was crisp and dry. But yet the fire of the Lord was over it and consumed it, and yet it did not destroy it. That's remarkable. That, guns, that goes against all science and logic and human reasoning. No one, you'll find the agnostic and the unbeliever saying, how is it possible? That's why God is the God of the impossibles. It's impossible for you to take a match upon a tumbling weed and not expect it to burn up and fry, become nothing but ashes instantly. Yet the Bible says that this fire in which the angel of the Lord stood consumed that bush, and it did not destroy it. We see that in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and 24, you don't have to go there, just mention that the Lord is spoken of as a consuming fire. That he totally engulfs Deuteronomy 4 and 24, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire. That means that everything God touches with his fire, he totally embraces he doesn't simply just touch it a little bit on a little corner, but he totally engulfs it. He cocoons it. He shrouds it. He shadows over it in his fire. But it's remarkable, isn't it? Amazing to know that that fire of the Lord is non-destructive. If you ever wonder, ladies and gentlemen, why people don't easily come to the Lord... It's because they are afraid that God will destroy everything about their lives. As a matter of fact, there are Christians in this house, potentially, that will not allow themselves totally to be engulfed by the fire of God because it'll take things from you and you think it'll totally destroy you because you are dependent of those things that fire, that fire will come to take away. God has been wanting to consume his church for a long time. Every church upon the face of this planet, this earth, everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus is God's desire to consume them totally. Are you afraid of that fire? People, just like in the past today, are afraid of that fire. The Bible says that when people saw the fire of the Lord, they hid their faces. When Moses came down with the, the written law of God, they saw his face. It was a, a burning fire and they hid themselves. And people always shunned the fire of the Lord. They feared, they bowed down, they melted to the ground because of the fire of God. They were afraid. 
But yet that's not what the fire of God comes to do. It's non-destructive. It's non-destructive except to the things that pollute who you are. It's a transforming fire, a reconstructive fire, a restoring fire, a purification fire. It's God trying to have his way with your life to redirect it, reposition it, resettle it, repurpose it. Everyone knows verbatim Jeremiah 29, 11, for he knows the plans that he has for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. He cannot do it unless he engulfs you. He cannot do it until he consumes you. The moment you get into the fire of God and allow him to take full ownership of your hearts, we will see what the Lord will truly want to do in your life. Let me just say to you this morning, the Lord is ready. He's ready to take responsibility for your life if you'll just give it to him. The Lord is willing and ready to take full responsibility for your life if you will just surrender it. If you'll allow him to consume you, who you are, God is willing to take responsibility for the outcome of your life. Isn't that wonderful to know? A lot of people will run from responsibility. Well, uh, if this happens, uh, I don't know. Hey, listen, uh, I'm not going to do that because if... Listen, I'm just giving you this, but if it doesn't work, you know, at least we tried. That's not God at all. There is no failure in God. There is no failure in God. There is no faltering in God. There are no mess-ups in God. If God will take a hold of your life, He will guarantee that the end that you will see will one that He had prepared for you. And one you will not regret But people are afraid because the only thing they think when you think about this earthly fire that we have, every fire that we've seen will either tear a building down, it'll kill people, it'll burn people down, it'll hurt people, it stings horribly, it, it's caused people to get all kinds of skin grafts and deformed individual fire is an ugly thing here on this planet, on this earth as we know it. Whenever you want to remove something from a piece of land, set it afire and it's gone. Let it be a building. Let it be brush. Let it be whatever. If you'll set it ablaze, it'll destroy it and make it ashes. But that's not the way God's fire works. It's a totally different fire. It may be a consuming fire, but the only thing, it's a very selective fire. What it will destroy in your life and burn up. There are things in your life, let me just say in passing, that you will never be able to get rid of yourself. 
I dare say this morning, and please don't be offended, there might be somebody in this house today that's been wanting to stop doing something in his life. I want to stop this. I know it's wrong. I, I know it's wrong. There are people that keep going back to drugs. There are people that are going back to pornography. There are people who are going back to doing this ugly things and the other. There's, there's womanizing. There's lying. There's cheating. I keep going back, and I know I, I want it out. And, and you weep, and you cry, and you wrestle with this devil. You'll never be able to get it out. Let it be a warning to you. Never. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Can a leopard change its spots, the Bible says? Can an Ethiopian change the color of his skin? Neither can a man purify his soul. Neither can a man ever stop himself from committing what the flesh most desires, and that is sin. The only thing that will burn that out of your life is your willingness to step in to the fire of God. And whatever it is that's tormenting you, God will destroy. God will break the devil's back over your life. He will set you free. He will turn you loose. You'll be delivered. You'll never have to go to AA. There are no recovering sinners in the house of God. There are no recovering individuals in the house of God. There are no 10 steps to overcoming this and the other. You are delivered when you get into the fire of God. Doesn't say in the Bible that when the Lord sent devils out, he didn't send those people to the nearest psychiatrist for the next six months to work out how they could appease that devil that was tormenting them. He simply looked at that devil and said, devil, get out. And the Lord will take that addiction and that sin in your life, those things you cannot get away with. Let him speak to them and say, get out. Because that's the only authority you have over yourself. And that is the power of the word of God in you. The spirit of the Lord and the fire of God that will destroy those things that ail you in your life. It's a refining, purifying fire. Malachi 3 and 2. But who can live... When he appears, who can endure his coming? For he is like a blazing fire, refining precious metal. And he can bleach the dirtiest garments. Ah, Jesus, take a hold of me. Jesus, put me in your washing machine. That should be the cry of the church. Father, take me and put me in your washing machine. Oh, bleach this sin from me. Take my dirty garments and wash them. Make me white as snow. <coughs> like a refiner of silver, he will sit and closely watch as the dross is burned away. Mm. He will purify the Levites and ministers of God, refining them like gold or silver. So they will do their work for God with pure hearts. I should just stop here and start another sermon with that verse right there. 
purified so they can make their work valid. Live a purified life so that your pastoralship can be worth it and validated. Purify your heart so your worship can be acceptable. Purify your hearts so that your prayers can be heard. Purify your hearts so that your tithing and your giving will be counted in his records. He's a refiner's fire. I dare say that sometimes from the pulpit they talk more about money than speaking of how to purify your hearts so that God can count your money as worthy. He's a refiner. This is an interesting scripture in the book of Malachi. The Lord visiting as a refiner to the people. You see, even today, the art of purifying metals uh, is not a very practiced one too much because there's not really a market for that anymore to find purified metals. Everything we have that's metal, it's made in assembly lines. And I'm sure there's a place for it, yes. But by and large, what we know as metal, we see as crude metal for cars, frames, and things like this. But when it comes to a purified metal such as gold... If a piece of jewelry truly is going to be worth and value, it's going to depend on how pure the gold is. And just today, as in old days, this refining procedure was one that, by definition, is something that removes the imperfect things. It takes out what is coarse and vulgar. It makes pure and perfects it brings improvement. It brings a certain distinctions to it that people identify as, oh, you'll know when that jewelry is valuable and you know when it's fantasy. You take it to a jeweler, he'll see and say, this is a diamond ring. It weighs two pounds. They go, oh, no, no, no. This is not a two-pound diamond. This is a piece of glass. Oh, this ring is all gold. Yeah, no, but it's green on the inside. There is no gold on this thing. This is all copper. They know. But a refiner, one who understands the process, will see and examine that particular piece of jewelry and say, this is pure gold. And if you look a little bit into refining, you'll find that the procedure ended as follows. They kept purifying it in fire. This metal they kept purifying and all the dross begins to rise up to the top and they would take a cup and take all the ugliness and throw it out. And they keep burning it and burning it and burning it. And the dross keep came, coming out and they kept throwing it out and they keep burning it and burning it. Finally, and what was going to tell them that it was finally good and ready was that the refiner would bend his head over the metal and he could see himself. It became as a mirror. It was so pure 
There was no dross on top. There was nothing, no spots of nothing in it. He could see himself. He could look at himself. This is what God's fire will do in your life. You see, the Bible says that it, it is his desire for him to see his son in us. We are called to be clothed in his glory. We are called to have the likeness and the mind of Christ. We are called to be everything like him. When Jesus comes, when the Lord comes to rapture his church, let me tell you something. He's not coming for a whole bunch of different faces. He's not coming for different races. He's not coming for different People from all geographical places. He's coming for people who look like his son. So he really has one to identify. Oh, who exactly are you? What does he look like? Man, I know they're in here somewhere. No. He said, find everyone that looks like my son. Those are the guys. Those are the people that I'm coming for. Those are the people that allowed themselves to sit in the refiner's fire until they became like a mirror and they looked just like the refiner, the sun. They looked like my son, Jesus. And people won't allow themselves to step into that fire. Why? Because we're pretty positioned in our own philosophies, ideas, mentalities, interpretations. All these things, you see, we are who we are. It's going to be a sad day, ladies and gentlemen. It's getting late, I realize. You still can give me a couple minutes? <clears throat> it's going to be a sad day. That when we go to heaven, because all of us will go to heaven, the question of the hour is, will you stay in heaven? When you say, is everybody going to heaven? Yep. Everybody, there's not a single soul that isn't going to heaven. Every single soul that has ever breathed upon the face of this earth is going to heaven. Because that's where they're going to meet with the Father. The next question, the question of the hour that we should be asking ourselves is, who's going to stay and shift out from heaven? Who's going to hear away from me? You workers of iniquity, I never knew you. There's a difference. But it's going to be a sad day, ladies and gentlemen, when we go to heaven and all of us will see the face of God. And in shock, millions upon millions will say, he looks nothing like I thought he was. I thought he looked like that. I thought he looked like this. You see, we made him look like that. We thought he was this. And the Lord himself, he's going to say, you thought I looked like you, right? I don't look anything like you. And to your sadness, you look nothing like me. That's what the refining fire does. And finally this morning, ladies and gentlemen, You'll always see that what caught the eye of Moses was that he saw flame burning. He saw light. 
it caught his eye. You can just imagine us turning this room off and taping all the windows shut and have nothing, have it pitch dark. If we would do that and absolutely not be able to see our hands, but have one of you in this house light a match, every single eye in the house would go. Your eye would turn through that little flicker of flame. That's what the fire of the Lord will do in your life. You see, we've taken up in this church for the past several months. I've been preaching on it. We've seen Pastor Duke preach on it. We've seen Wednesdays, the young people preaching on it. We've seen all of this. We are out to reach the lost. There's a hunger for souls in this house today. And if you're not hungry yet, we're going to keep giving it to you until you get hungry. Because that's the will of God for this ministry in this season. But you'll never get people to look at you and notice you. Not because you want notoriety, but to see a difference in you until you light up the world you're living in. Until you're on fire for God that people can notice something about you. That people can know, that realize that when they're in the middle of a classroom, young people. And in that room, you know there's a lot, a lot of lost young people. And, and there's such an ugly spirit about there. Just people completely ignoring the presence of God. But all of a sudden, in the middle of that room, you have one who is lit on fire for God. You'll notice you. Yes, they will. I told you the experience of when I got saved, I was still a nurse in the hospital. Up to the day I was saved, ladies and gentlemen, I was Israel. I was nothing. I was just one of the employees and, hey, what's going on, man, whatever. But when I confessed and professed, I had an opportunity to tell everybody there that I was saved. That committed me to walk the walk in the presence of all my peers. Just me saying it that one day for the rest of my stay as a nurse before I retired and came into ministry. They all knew. And any time something spiritual was needed in that hospital, in that OR room, they would always call Israel. And that was not a boast or a glory to me. I'm not saying, please, please don't go there. Don't allow the devil to play with your thoughts. Oh, he's being arrogant. I, nothing. Be quiet. I give glory to God. What I am saying to you is that God will change your life and make you the desire of this land. He will make you the desire of this land. There are people who are waiting for you to be on fire, to pray for them, to love them, to encourage them, to lift them up, and to introduce them to the truth that you have found in Christ Jesus. But you'll never do that until the fire of the Lord causes them to look at you. Because otherwise you walk just like all the same, you see. Moses was just a shepherd. I'm sure there were other shepherds in the great desert of Midian. I'm sure that they had alliances among shepherds, and there were 70 or 100 shepherds there. They all had different flocks. And it was no difference. Everybody rubbed shoulders. Everybody talked about the bad sheep and the good sheep and how they had to shear and all this, where they had to take to drink water and just regular business. But from that moment on, everyone knew where Moses stood. They always knew. 
even Peter, the rebellious one, the presumptuous one, couldn't escape the smoldering of the fire of God in his life when he tried the backslide. You remember that? You remember that? You remember? And he was talking all proud and saying, Lord, I will follow you till the death. I said, Peter, 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 Peter. Before the crows, crows three times, you're going to deny me. Crows in the morning, you're going to deny me. And you find Peter in the midst of a fire in the city. And in the midst of it, he's trying to hide, you see, but he's still smoldering. <sighs> There's still smoke coming out of him. He tried to put it out, but that fire was a little too strong. It was still, and people said, hey, aren't you one of those Christian guys? What? Yeah, man, you, you've been around with that Jesus guy. And I'm sure he was dressed the same. He was part of the clan, part of the clique of the town. But they knew. It caught their eye. Christians need to be noticeable in this world today, not because of the great accolades, not because of your degrees, not because of how good-looking you are, how pretty your makeup is, or how well you dress, or how much money you have. They need to notice you because they see the light of God in your life. You cannot hide a candle. A candle was made to light up the room, the Bible tells us. Moses became a leader of the greatest nation in the world. But it didn't happen until he came and stepped into the fire of God. Would you stand with me this morning? Have you seen the fire of God? Have you stepped into the fire of God? The Bible tells us in the book of John 2 and 11 that those that walk in darkness lose their direction. He doesn't know where he's going because darkness has blinded him. You see, our life is not to be walked in darkness. It's supposed to be walked in the light of the flame of God. We should be walking in the light of God. If they turn every light off in this venue, this room shall, should still be lit up. You know, the Bible says that on that day when we're in glory, the sun is going to be fired. The sun is going to lose its job. The moon has no more work after we go to heaven. Every star, the unemployment line. Not anything in the constellation has work. Why? Does anybody know why this morning? Because of the light of the sun. Because of the light of His glory, it's going to light up. He is going to be that chandelier. It's going to be the flame that met Moses on that mountain. It's going to be that refining fire that met the people of Israel. It's going to be that consuming fire 
They came to clean the life of Isaiah. It's going to be that consuming fire that licked up the sacrifice and the water when Elijah prayed. Every rock in heaven, constellation, all the planets of the world are going to be unemployed because of the radiant glory of the fire of God in glory. He wants you to know that fire. He wants you to be unafraid. It's not going to destroy you, but it will destroy things in you. And he's willing, I say you to, this to you this morning as I close, he's willing to take the responsibility of you if you're willing to give him that responsibility of you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give. 